Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Long time no talk. So I have reasons for that, but I won't bore you with them. Long story short, I had plans for a second episode last week. I had everything set up and in place to do that. And then I just have not been feeling too well. Still not feeling great right now. Still got a few things going on that I'm not going to go into detail on, but I'll just say not doing terrific. But I'm at least doing well enough where I'm able to watch these movies and talk about them with you guys as of right now. So nothing to worry about for you guys. But yeah, basically I had a movie screening for a movie and that will be my next episode. Not this one, but it is for Netflix's Murder Mystery 2. I had a screening for that about half an hour from my house, and I just was not feeling well at all. And then I later saw that day that the review embargo for this movie would not release until the Friday of that week when I normally drop the episodes on Thursday. So I said, okay, so first off, I would have to record this and edit it and do all that work when I'm not feeling great. Not just that, I would have to drive half an hour to see this movie which may or may not be good, and then go through all this work, and I wouldn't be able to drop the episode until Friday anyway, where what's the point? And I didn't want to have to drop it on the first day of this week because I felt the movie that people would care more about is the one I actually am talking about, and that is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So this is a movie that I thought looked fun the second I saw the trailer to it, and it was one I was kind of looking forward to, and it's mostly because it is from the directors of the movie Game Night, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. So yeah, those guys wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. They're one of the six writers on Spider-Man Homecoming, which is why when I heard Game Night was good and someone said, oh, it's the writers of Spider-Man Homecoming, I said, okay, I think I'll wait on Game Night. And then later on, I watched Game Night and I said, oh, this is actually hilarious. But Spider-Man Homecoming was a movie that had six, seven, eight writers. I don't know how many. So I don't know how responsible those guys were for the movie. If they just wrote the jokes for the movie, no idea. But Game Night was a movie that I watched a year or so after it came out, and I really enjoyed it. I actually thought it was hilarious, and it's probably to this day one of my favorite comedy movies. And so I knew these guys were doing this movie because originally they were doing The Flash starring Ezra Miller. So actually, originally, originally, that movie had Rick Famuyiwa, who directed Dope, and now does a bunch of episodes of The Mandalorian. And then at some point, The Flash had Phil Lord and Chris Miller attached to it. And then it had these guys, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. And apparently they did not really see eye to eye with Ezra Miller because these guys wanted to make The Flash more of a comedy, kind of like their other movies have been thus far, or I guess other movies that they've written thus far. And Ezra Miller, as a fan of the Flash source material, wanted something a little more epic for the character and felt they weren't really taking it very seriously. And so they never saw eye to eye. And eventually, of course, those guys departed the Flash project and they got started on Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which I had the opportunity to watch in theaters yesterday. I saw it in a Dolby theater. 
which was really great. The sound was incredible, as you would expect in a Dolby theater. Also, they gave me this special print. It's not even a poster. It's pretty small. It's like 12 by 10. And then they gave me a map, which I said, okay, cool. A Dungeons and Dragons map. What am I going to do with that? Because it's the size of a Kleenex. What am I supposed to do with that? Sometimes these theaters will give away really cool stuff at these movie premieres. I've mentioned before to you guys that I've gotten some cool stuff. I've gotten some nice movie posters in the past. I know some theaters will give out cool popcorn buckets and drinks and memorabilia, t-shirts, what have you. But this one, yeah, I don't know. I kept it because I said, well, what the heck? Maybe some nerd will bid on this for like a million dollars on eBay someday. No idea. But speaking of nerds, my theater was mostly full. It was at 3 o'clock showing, which is crazy, by the way. They are going early and earlier with these showings with brand new movies because it used to be that movies were released on Fridays, but you could see the midnight showings on Thursday, Friday. And it would be, you know, midnight between the Thursday, Friday. And then it became close to midnight showings where there were like 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock showings where, yeah, the movie's ending at or after midnight. And then it just became evening showings where, yes, you could see it at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. And then it became late afternoon where you're talking 5 o'clock. And now they have 3 o'clock showings. And I just thought, wow. I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but I kind of do because I mentioned before, I like to see these movies in premium formats because usually the people paying to see these movies opening day, opening night in the premium formats are people that are really serious about seeing movies. So they are less disruptive, less annoying than the typical movie goer because they're more invested quite literally in this film. They've put more money into the pot to see this film. So they're not going to be talking the whole movie. They're not going to be on their phone the whole movie most of the time. But I've had a few bad experiences now watching these movies in premium formats, and it's because I'm going to these three o'clock showings where it's technically a matinee showing. So basically, even though these are in premium formats, people are paying the price of a regular movie ticket. Because let's say it's about Ten fifty for a regular adult ticket at an AMC theater on a Thursday night, which I think is about the price. If you were to see an IMAX or a Dolby movie during the matinee show times, it would be about $11. So now that they are showing these movies at around 3 p.m. as the first showing, I'm with all the regular people. I just realized that because I was being annoyed early in my Dungeons & Dragons screening and I had someone that clapped when the Fast and Furious trailer started. I'm telling you guys, every single time I'm in a theater like this, they always go crazy over the Fast and Furious trailer. And it blows my mind. I'm like, if you're this big of a fan of the franchise, have you never seen this trailer? Is this your first time? Or do you just clap every single time you see it? That's wild to me. But then also, before this movie, there's a special message from the cast of the film. And they're saying, hey... You guys are the real heroes because you're watching this movie in a theater the way it was meant to be watched. And I said, you guys are trying to be Tom Cruise so badly because he was the one that started that trend with Top Gun Maverick where he had that 
thing of thanking everyone for coming to see it in theaters because that's how it was meant to be watched and all that stuff. Because I saw a bunch of movies during the pandemic when no one was going to see them. And even after the pandemic had kind of cleared up when not a lot of people were seeing them. But I remember the special thanks before Top Gun Maverick. I don't really remember it before any movie until then, but now I see it before movies all the time. But they had, they're like, you guys are the real heroes, so thank you for being here. And someone two seats down from me goes, thank you. I went, oh gosh. And they didn't laugh afterwards or anything. They were sincere of just saying thank you to the cast of the Dungeons and Dragons movie as if they could hear them through the screen. Anyway, this movie gets started and immediately I thought this is going to be the type of movie for me. Because very early into the movie, we get a Chris Pine narration, which I love Chris Pine's voice. I think he has a great voice for movies, great voice for narration. And he's giving some backstory to his character and his friend, Holga, who is played by Michelle Rodriguez. Because the movie opens with the two of them in prison, which you might say, oh, spoiler. No, it's the first minute of the movie. It's not a spoiler. They're in prison. Which, by the way, I saw this thing on Twitter. It pissed me off so much. It was this film critic, and this is why I can't stand some film critics, because they think they are so important sometimes. And you guys might say, Caleb, you're a film critic. No, I'm not. I don't get early access to these things. I'll get the occasional early screening, but I'm just a movie fan. I just talk about these movies. I'm not a real critic. But this one had said how Dungeons & Dragons was like the greatest movie ever, whatever. And this guy replied and said, Is this movie actually real world like you're in the Dungeons and Dragons world or is it people playing the game and you're watching it play out on screen and it cuts back and forth basically like a Princess Bride type of vibe is what they're meaning like in Princess Bride how he's reading the book to the kid and the movie is playing out as the book so they were asking if it's people playing Dungeons and Dragons And it's going to the movie because that was what the directors had teased that it was like a year ago. I remember them saying they took inspiration from The Princess Bride for this film. But I'll tell you guys straight up, that's not what it is. It is just in the Dungeons and Dragons universe. But this critic replies to the guy and says, I can't say anything without spoiling. You'll just have to see it yourself. Like, you ass. You're not spoiling anything. It's not in the movie. Stop teasing people just to get them to watch a movie. Stop trying to seem more important than you are. They're just characters in the Dungeons and Dragons world and the story follows those characters. Okay? I promise you guys that. I would not lie to you. If it was cutting to them playing a board game, I would tell you that because I'd say, hey, this is a cool thing. It's kind of like the Princess Bride. But the only thing that is Princess Bride about this film is just that it is a little bit silly that it kind of makes fun of some of the fantasy elements you would expect in this type of story. That yeah, it's this big grand adventure, but it's also kind of making fun of itself at the same time. Which I once posted on Facebook and got some mild backlash to it where I said, Princess Bride is just Shrek for boomers. And a bunch of people are saying, oh, it's not even the baby boomer generation. It's like, okay, stop. Like, you're getting too technical with it. First, I was making a joke. Second, I was just implying that the Princess Bride did similar things that Shrek did in terms of telling a fantasy style story while also making fun of elements of those types of films and also just having 
an entire generation in a chokehold or multiple generations in a chokehold over different lines and moments in the film. Shrek is iconic. The Princess Bride's iconic. And someone had replied saying, oh, it's disrespecting the Princess Bride. No. Comparing Shrek to the Princess Bride is a great compliment to both films. And I'll say with this film, I would not compare it to either of those two films. I think it does some of the same things, but I don't think it is as great as those movies. But like I was saying, this movie starts off with Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez's characters in prison. Chris Pine's character, whose name is Edgin and Michelle Rodriguez, who, as I said, is Holga Kilgore. And they are making an appeal as to why they should not be in prison. Specifically, Edgin is the one doing the talking to this council as to why they should be released. And that's where you get him storytelling, where you get some of his backstory and you get some of the other backstory. Other characters are introduced in the movie in that way. And I think it works really well. My only complaint during that scene is that there's a really emotional moment during his backstory. And before it sits on that moment for too long, it kind of cuts out of it so that Chris Pine can make a witty joke. I don't really like that. It's something that you'd expect in an MCU movie where it's an emotional moment in a story and they cut away for a quick joke because it's kind of an easy laugh. Not a fan of that. I shouldn't say just MCU. That's just the biggest brand I can point to because other big movies do this. I'm just saying the MCU is notorious for doing that specifically. But anyway, Chris Pine doing this whole opening narration, I think it's funny, it's entertaining, he's got a good voice for it, it introduces a lot of characters, it sets up the whole movie really well, it tells you a lot about D&D lore, which hey, here's the thing, I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons guy at all, and I do wonder how fans of the source material will respond to this movie, to be perfectly honest, because I had a thought about midway through... And this is a terrible thought to have during a film. But I thought, I am so glad these guys did not do the Flash movie. Because I'm a fan of the Flash character, and I just thought, I am so glad they did not do that movie. And it's not that this movie is bad by any means, it's just that it is kind of silly. It feels like it's poking fun at D&D more than having fun with it. Although... It's intended for the audience to have fun. To me, as someone who's not even a D&D fan, I felt this is kind of poking fun at D&D, isn't it? Like, it's not entirely taking the source material very seriously. Now, I don't know how serious the source material is. I just don't feel like there's this level of reverence for the source material. You don't really feel that level of love and respect, to me at least. Honestly, it felt like something that these guys had probably played, but they're like, okay, this is kind of a silly game that we just enjoy. Let's make a fun movie out of this silly game that we enjoy. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that because I think they made a very fun movie. But for me, I think of superheroes and superhero movies in a way where I prefer them to be taken more seriously. They don't have to be just this ultra realistic thing or whatever, not like the Batman necessarily. But at the same time, I want there to be a level of respect for these characters and the world that they build. Like, I think the idea of that is really cool. But a lot of people are kind of afraid to do that when they make these types of movies. They're constantly just winking at the camera like, okay, don't worry, we know this is a bit silly too. And to me, I say, hey, 
I'm trying to watch a movie where you take me to a whole new world and I don't care how silly it seems. I think it'd be really cool if that was taken seriously. Like, look at Lord of the Rings. They are never winking at the camera in Lord of the Rings of, hey, can you believe how silly this stuff is? Orcs and goblins and dwarves and elves. (laughs) Can you believe that? And that's part of the reason Lord of the Rings is so great is because Peter Jackson, someone might say, didn't have a great respect for the source material, meaning the books, but I would disagree. I'd just say he wanted to tell it in his own way, in this grand epic way, and again, just did his own thing with it. But it never feels when you're watching that movie like it's ashamed to be what it is or that it's ashamed of its source material. And it's kind of how I feel about a lot of superhero characters as well, that there can be silly superhero characters, but I don't want every superhero to just be a joke. But I'm getting a little off topic. I'm just saying that this is a movie that halfway through I thought, man, I'm glad these guys did not do the Flash movie. And it's not a knock on this movie necessarily. I think only hardcore D&D fans will have a problem with it. And even then, maybe if I were a hardcore fan of Dungeons and Dragons, I'd say, oh, I'm glad they made a joke about this. Oh, I'm glad it's like this. And I've talked to some Dungeons and Dragons fans that say, oh, well, the game's never really that serious when we're playing together. We're kind of all just having fun. So... They don't really care if the movie is the way it is, but I don't know what the consensus is among all Dungeons & Dragons fans. I've only talked to a handful. But to quickly lay this movie out, Chris Pines, Edgen, is the main character. He has a wife and a baby girl at the start of this film, or at least at the start of the story that he is telling. He ends up losing his wife and turns to a life of crime and looting and stealing, aided by his good friend Holga, who also helps him raise his daughter. Both of them met each other when they were at very low points in life and have basically been best friends ever since. There's no romantic connection between the two whatsoever. But they have their little crew that they do all of their missions with. Sometimes Edgen's daughter, Kira, tags along, but then other times she does not. Specifically, the mission where Edgen and Holga get caught. She does not tag along for that one. She doesn't really know much about the mission. And this is one that there is a mysterious woman named Sophina that comes to them saying that she has this really big job for them to pull off. And Forge, who is played by Hugh Grant, who's the con man on their team, sells it to Edgen saying, hey, there's actually this tablet there that can bring things back to life. So for Edgen, this is a chance at bringing his wife back. And he doesn't tell his daughter this just because he doesn't want to get her hopes up for nothing in case it doesn't work out. But also on their team is Justice Smith, who plays Simon, the sorcerer. Anyway, the mission doesn't go entirely as planned, and it results in Edgen and Holga being arrested and everyone else escaping. So fast forward to much later, and Edgen's mission is now to find his daughter, reunite with her, and then get that tablet back so that he can bring his wife back and get on with his life. But there are other things that end up coming up, because of course the woman Sophina 
that hired them for that job is not exactly who she says she is. And their old friend Forge, played by Hugh Grant, is also not the friend that they thought he was. Which you can kind of gather from the trailer that Hugh Grant is not a good guy in this movie. And immediately when they introduce him as a con man, it's like, okay, he's probably not a very good guy. Anyway, once everything goes the way it does, they end up having to form new alliances so that they can get certain things that they need. And it's kind of a MacGuffin trip from there on where it's, hey, we need to find this person because this person can lead us to this thing and this thing can lead us to this thing. And the only way we can get into this thing is if we have this thing. So there's a lot of that going on, which is fine. It's a typical adventure story. But some of the other characters that you meet along this movie are Doric, who is played by Sophia Lillis, who I know from the It movies, and she's very good in those, specifically the first one. She has the most screen time. She's very good in those It movies. Not a fan of her name in this movie, though, Doric. It's too close to Dork. Like, you couldn't get a name that sounds like a name from that world that's just a little bit different. I don't know. I don't like Doric as a name. But Doric has the ability to turn into different animals, insects, things like that. She's a shapeshifter. I think the actual term for it is druid or something like that. Not entirely sure. But she's a very important character in this movie. And one of the first scenes you see with her is actually a pretty cool one. Not the very first scene, but it's one where it shows her spying on Sophina and Forge in the castle. And Sophina spots her. And tries to capture her. And so there's this big chase sequence where Doric is changing into all these different creatures to escape from the castle and then from the kingdom. And that was a pretty sweet scene overall, in my opinion. And that's the thing. I think I have made it seem like I didn't like this movie. I enjoyed it. I think it's a pretty enjoyable movie from start to finish. There are some really high highs in the movie and not too low of lows. My only thing was just that I kind of thought it would be funnier. Like if it was committing to being this silly movie, I thought the jokes would land a bit better than they did. It's consistently kind of funny, but it's not consistently hilarious. Like there's plenty of dialogue that will make you maybe give a harder exhale through your nose. But I didn't find myself laughing out loud at too many points in this movie, which I kind of expected to do because game night I was dying watching that movie. I thought it was hilarious. And I watched that by myself. So I figured this movie in a packed theater full of people excited to see the movie that I would be laughing a lot more and really not so. I thought it was pretty funny. And there are some scenes that are really funny. One scene specifically is they need to get information from a dead person. And it's this whole MacGuffin thing I was talking about where they need to find out where something is and this leads them to someone who knows where something is but they're pulling up bodies from this battle where this item was last seen and Simon is able to resurrect them with this certain spell but only for five questions that's all they get and that scene is super funny because they're just digging up person after person trying to get the information that they need to the point where you can tell they're completely fed up with digging up all these dead people But that scene probably had some of the best laughs in the movie. And then soon after this scene, you're introduced to Reggae Jean Page, who is a very solid actor. He's in a lot of things right now that people are loving. I've only seen him in a handful of projects, but I've enjoyed him in the projects that I have seen. 
but he plays a character named Zank, I believe it is. It's spelled with an X, but I think it's pronounced Zank. And he's a very serious but stoic character. Kind of the guy you would expect as the lead in this type of movie normally, but he is really only in this movie for this stretch of the story. And he does a good job. He is so serious that nobody really likes him that much, that he kind of drives a few characters crazy, especially Holga and Edgen. But he leads them to this one spot that turns into a pretty fun scene in the movie. And honestly, he has an action scene that I thought was really awesome. That's another thing. I mentioned that there was a solid chase scene in this movie. I also think there's some really well shot action scenes in this film. I think it's not necessarily an action packed movie, but when there is action, I think it's very good action. It's really entertaining, a little more brutal than I was expecting. And I like that. And also, I gotta say, they do incorporate different fantasy elements into this movie really well. Like, there are dragons, there are wizards and sorcerers and things like that. There are all kinds of different creatures that I haven't really seen before, and so that was cool. Overall, I think they do a good job of creating a whole new world and a whole new universe with this movie. Another thing I'll mention from these big action scenes is that, yeah, there's a lot of CGI in this movie. I saw somebody try to say that this movie was mostly just sets and filming on location, and someone else replied, uh, I think we watched a different movie. And I'm agreeing with the person that watched a different movie because there's a lot of very obvious green screen stuff and a lot of stuff that's just clearly CGI. I mean, obviously, you're not going to have a real dragon in a movie. But at the same time, I say, could this dragon not have looked as good as the dragon in Desolation of Smog nine years ago, was it? Ten years ago, almost? Because I saw people praising the visuals in this movie, and the visuals are fine. They're okay. It, to me, looked like a movie that probably had a big budget for VFX, but maybe didn't have the most experienced people shooting that type of stuff, where maybe they didn't know exactly how to light certain scenes so that stuff would look better. And they didn't know how to properly blend practical with non-practical effects. Like some directors are experienced enough to know, hey, I can build this entire set like this and we can just animate this right here and fill in this in the sky. And then there's some that say, okay, it's only going to look good if we do it completely, completely green screen, green screen, floor, walls, ceiling, what have you. And I think these are directors that aren't used to that type of film. And that's okay, because I'm not saying it looked bad. It just didn't look amazing. I think it looked okay. It looked like a lot of money was spent on it, but it didn't look like they knew exactly what they were doing on 100% of the shots. But hey, that's something that I think guys improve on as they do more movies. Some guys just get it right away. Some guys do not. But there were a few noticeable points for me where I said they are just standing in front of a green screen right now. So the guy who was saying that it looked like they were actually on sets and locations and stuff, I have no idea what he's talking about because it was pretty clear in a lot of scenes that there's a green screen background. And hey, you know what? They do that in a lot of movies. That's fine. And it didn't look bad. I'm just saying it didn't look great. The VFX is not necessarily hyper-realistic. So the visuals are pretty good, but they're not amazing, in my opinion. I thought they were pretty good. The score for the movie is done by Lauren Balfe, 
who is a composer that I think is very good. I think his score for this movie is good. It's not his best, but it's good. And I haven't really given much attention to the cast. I've talked about who's in the cast of this movie, but I think I should just note that I really enjoyed Chris Pine in this movie. You guys should know I enjoy him in just about everything. I saw not too long ago somebody saying that Hollywood made the mistake years back when they did the Star Trek movies of thinking that Chris Pine was a lead man when really he's just a character actor who can play a solid supporting role in the movie. And I disagree with that. I think he is the ideal lead man in a blockbuster movie. He's got the perfect balance of charm and charisma. He's got great comedic timing. He is able to really hit in the serious moments. And I think he does a good job of that in this movie as well. There are some moments that make this feel different than the generic blockbuster movie because all in all, this feels almost like one of those quote-unquote theme park ride movies that Martin Scorsese had ragged on years back. It kind of has that vibe to it at some points, but I do think there is a solid amount of heart to this movie, and a lot of it is brought by Chris Pine's performance as Edgen, and I think his character has the most nuance to it as well. I also think there's more depth to the character Holga than I was expecting, because a lot of times when you have a character like her, she's kind of this big brute woman who kicks a lot of ass. Which, by the way, I saw people when the trailer first came out, they were like, oh, great, it's woke. I was like, oh, stop, stop. I used to see movies with my older brother all the time, and we always kind of made jokes about that kind of stuff because there will be somebody that sees just any person in a movie. They'll see a woman in a movie and say, oh, great, it's woke. Or they'll see a black person in a movie and say, oh, great, it's woke. No, it's just a diverse cast. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually quite normal. But anyway, the character Holga was one that I expected to be just the tough one that doesn't care about anybody, that anything Edgen says is just loser stuff, doesn't care. Anything anyone else says is just loser stuff. I'm just here to drink blood and beat people up where the pendulum has swung too far, if you know what I mean, where the whole reason for her character in a typical movie would be because usually it's the guy playing that character, so now it's the woman, so now the woman is going to be the tough, rugged one with no personality other than just beating people up. But there's an actual character to Holga. She's not just a big brute who beats everyone up. She has actual personality. She clearly cares about people, and people care about her. And so I like that. She actually has a former love interest in this movie, which I will just say is the most surprising, shocking cameo in the history of cameos. I honestly was in shock, and I won't spoil it. That was another cameo, by the way, that looked very, very odd. It just looked funny to me because there's a major size difference. She's meant to look much bigger than this love interest, and it looked very funny. I thought, how did Lord of the Rings do this better 20 years ago than this is doing right now? I don't know. But I'll just say, if you see this movie, when you get to that point, your jaw may be on the floor if you know who the person is, which I think most people would know who this person is. But there were actual chuckles in my theater just because of who the cameo was. And I didn't even laugh. I was just in shock. I went, what? And I kept trying to find the connection to this particular actor and the producers of this movie, the directors of the movie, writers, actors. I just thought, who does he know in this movie where they got him to do this role? 
No idea. But it does work. It's a good cameo. Overall, though, this could have felt like a very generic, fun movie, but there is an actual emotional core to it. And frankly, they do introduce you to a brand new world and they do a pretty good job of it. It's visually engaging enough, in my opinion. I mentioned I don't think the visuals are great, but they're pretty good. I think the characters are all likable. There are a couple of characters I didn't care as much for at first that kind of grew on me. Justice Smith's character is one that I thought was just a little bit dumb and useless for a lot of the movie, but he finds his worth eventually. And Sophia Lillis's character, I think, is a good character. Didn't get as much screen time as I would have liked, maybe, but she's still very good in this film. And all in all, there are some really well-directed scenes in this movie. I think it's cleverly shot. It's got good action scenes. The comedy is constant. It's not always great, in my opinion, but it has its moments for sure. And I think overall, the emotional core of this movie is Edgen and his relationship with his daughter and with his wife, who of course is gone, but that's kind of what's keeping him invested in this mission from start to finish is the chance at seeing his wife again. To me, this movie felt less like The Princess Bride and more like maybe Guardians of the Galaxy, which someone might say, oh, this is nothing like Guardians. And you'll say that just because it's not a sci-fi movie with a jukebox soundtrack. But I think in terms of style and characters and things like that, that it kind of resembles the first Guardians movie a little bit. They have a similar vibe to them. I think I prefer the first Guardians movie, but that's the closest I could think of in comparison to this movie, where it's introducing a group of ragtag heroes that band together to save the world, more or less, against an evil force, and there's the comedy and silly stuff in it, for sure. And there's also a speech given by Chris Pine's character, Edgen, late in the movie that kind of reminded me of Chris Pratt's speech at the end of the first Guardians movie. So all in all, it kind of reminded me of that movie a little bit. Also, slight vibes of The Rock's Jumanji movies, but if you had an actual actor in the lead role and not The Rock, someone like Chris Pine, for example. But yeah, overall, I'd say I enjoyed this movie. I don't plan on watching it again in theaters. I'll probably catch it later on when it hits streaming or something like that. I think it's worth a rewatch for me, but I'm just not going to go out of my way to see it in theaters again. This is one where if you are a diehard Dungeons and Dragons fan, though, I think you should check it out. I think it is a well-made movie. You may not like what they did with it, but I think there was a lot of money put into this project. And I think a lot of passion. I think the guys that made this love Dungeons and Dragons. They just may not love it in the same way you do. They may love it as something that is kind of silly that they just find fun. And maybe you love it in a different way where it's a lot more personal to you than maybe it was to these guys. But if you're on the fence about seeing this movie, I think it's maybe worth checking out on a discount Tuesday, or if you're just wanting to see a movie on a Friday night with some friends, I think it would be a fun time with a group of friends. I don't think you could go wrong. And most people are really liking this movie. I'm in the minority that liked it, didn't really love it. And it's partially just because I was expecting it to be a bit better than it was. But those are my thoughts on Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sorry I was a bit scattered. I did my very best, I promise. Next time you hear from me, I will be talking about Adam Sandler's new movie on Netflix, Murder Mystery 2. 
So make sure you are following me so that you can get updates anytime I upload a new episode. You guys will hear from me later this week.